Let's talk this morning about living as a family. I've been kind of like a focus uh, this last week on the one thing, the one thing. Actually, the last couple of weeks, the one thing. And, and I was reminded of something I shared, a scripture that I read several years ago. It was actually about four or five years ago uh, that I actually taught on that particular scripture. But I asked the question, and the question that I asked was, uh, what is the one thing that you could do? One thing that you could do. And if you did that one thing really, really well, it will affect all the other things that you do. What if there was one thing that you did and you did it really, really well? And that one thing would affect all the other things that you do in your life. Well, uh, it's interesting that Paul was so effective in his life. Paul has such a great revelation of Jesus because he had simplified his focus in life to primarily one thing. And he wanted to do this one thing, and he wanted to do this one thing really, really well. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says it like this. He says, brethren, come on, champions, let's read that together like we know it is the word of his power. Let's read it together now. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul says that, you know what? Uh, do you know that something can, uh, 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 success can sabotage your future just as failures can sabotage your future? Because sometimes when people believe that they've arrived, they stop pursuing the one thing. And uh, when things are going just well, it, they think it's automatic and, and that's not the focus. And so... Um, Paul says that, you know what, I'm effective in my ministry, I'm effective in the gospel, I know the revelation that Jesus gave me, uh, however, that I do not count myself to have arrived, I do not count myself to uh, apprehend it or taken hold of what God had prepared for me. And so he began to talk about that, why would Paul say that, what, why would he come up with that? And what action would he take so that he can get closer to the thing that, he, uh, that God has prepared for him uh, so that he can apprehend it? So, so he can, at, at some point in his life, count just as Jesus did, for I have finished the work that you've called me to do, and I brought you glory. And this is it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it tells us, uh, right before uh, uh, Paul says that I have not apprehended, but so I'm going to forget the things that are behind and I'm going to press toward the mark. But he says this, this is what I want to do. If I can do one thing, and if I can do that one thing really, really well, and if I do that one thing well, it will affect all the other things that I do in my life. And Paul says that it is this, that I may know him, that I may know him <laughs> and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now notice that Paul says that I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Do you know what? When a man dies, you know, there, there have been people that have died that were raised back to life, but they died again. But there was something about Jesus that when he died and, and was raised to life, he just continued to live. And so it was something supernatural about the power of his resurrection. Now, let me just share this with you, because when you look at that and you begin to wonder, why is it that God has, um, why is it that God raised Jesus from the dead? Why is it, if he says that where there is no shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin in Hebrews 12, well, 
we know that Jesus shed his blood. And because Jesus shed his blood, the sin thing had been forgiven. So God did not have to raise Jesus from the dead because the sin thing had been solved. However, God raised Jesus from the dead as evidence for you and I that we could have a relationship through the relationship that Jesus had with him. And you know what? They were so together. They were one. Why? It's because the fa- Jesus says, when you've seen the Father, you've seen me. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wouldn't that be an amazing testimony for you when you say that when people look at you, they say, man, you know, rather than say you look like your daddy, rather than say you look like your mother, they say you look like Jesus. Wouldn't that be a powerful testimony? And isn't that what we want? When, 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 when the words come out with glory to God, hallelujah, all the praises to him, really, those are words that are being spoken. But man, wouldn't it be awesome if people saw that about you and I in our everyday, all-day life? Now, so let's look at this then. Paul says that, I have not comp- uh, uh, apprehended. Uh, I, I have not apprehended, but one thing I do is I want to forget the things that are behind. <laughs> and the amazing thing about that is that Paul is a church planter at this time. He's a tent maker. He's a mentor. He's a writer. And he cuts through all these daily activities to say, I'm not going to get distracted by any of that. I'm going to focus on one thing. And that one thing I'm going to focus on is that I might know him. I might know You know, when you know somebody, you have confidence. And when you know something, you have confidence in the very thing you know. When you know something, you have confidence in that very thing. And so all of us need to grow. Uh, If if you believe that there is room for you to grow, would you say, "Uh uh-huh? So all of us need to grow. All of us, it's important. It has been said again that if you stop growing, then you you start dying. And so all of us need to grow. And the amazing thing about Jesus... Although he did not consider it robbery, he was in heaven, he, was, he, was, he had everything, and he did not consider it robbery to be uh, equal to Christ, uh, equal to God, to the Father. But the Bible says that, but he took on the body of a man, the humility of what he gave up so that he could fulfill the purpose that God had for his life. And it's amazing that uh, he gave up all of that And he uh, came to the earth. But you know what? Jesus was God. In the beginning, he was there. But when he took on the humanity, he had to grow in his humanity. Because Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, and he grew in favor with God and man. So Jesus grew. He grew. He grew. And he had to experience growth in his life and and it's a perfect example too because if you recall that uh god wanted uh him to have the confidence he wanted him to have the confidence Mm. he wanted him to have the confidence to know that what i purpose for you that he'll see on the human side the progressiveness because jesus was here for 30 years before we ever did one miracle his ministry was over uh, a little over three years and, and, and it's, it was when he went into his ministry was the time that he started doing miracles. But think about the first miracle that Jesus did. 
See, that's why the experience is so important. You think about the first miracle that Jesus did. They were at this wedding, and uh, they had run out of wine. And, and Mary says to him, Jesus, they have no more wine. And Jesus says, what does it have to do with me? My time has not yet come. That's what he said. Mary didn't even respond to him. She didn't say anything else. She just turned to the people that were following, that were, were, would listen to him, and they say, whatever he says, do it. She didn't address him. She addressed the authority and the power that he had that perhaps, according to the scripture, it doesn't reveal it fully, but Jesus had never used it. But Mary knew what his purpose was why? It's because she had an experience with it. Remember the angel came to her and said that, mm, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And he began to talk about Jesus and Mary, a virgin, having a child, had experienced mm, the power of God and the supernatural of God. So she didn't address Jesus. Although Jesus had never done it before, she saw the potential that he had and she just instructed the people that would be the result of the miracle. So we recognize that that experience that God wants us to get with him gives us the confidence to know, even if it's never been done, even if you've never done it before, that you'll, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly more because of the power that's working in you. It says God can do exceedingly, but you can. This is why he says in the Old Testament, he says this word, he said it this way in Joshua. He says, do not let my word depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. And he says, and you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So isn't it amazing how God has given you the power to live a successful Christian life so that you might fulfill the purpose that he has given you. But what happens is that there is something that we have to do that has to become a routine, has to become a habit, that has to be automatic. And you know, when something's automatic, you don't react. When something's automatic, what's on the inside of you come out. If you, you know, I heard someone, and they were, um, they, 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 they love to watch a lot of different kinds of movies but there was something that shocked them, and, and just right, right out of their mouth was a cuss word. But the person is really not a cusser. But what happens? It's like really what you put in, it comes out. Because what, there comes a time when your tongue doesn't connect to your brain, it connects to your heart. So if we're going to look like Jesus when people see us, then there is a practice that we have to have. And so, uh, so it's harder to start it, but once you start it, it's, it's easier to maintain it. And how, how long does the, the statistics say it takes, church? Not 21. So let's take a look at this. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to uh, summarize it for you here this morning. But it's when the church was formed in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit had come. And it says something very powerful. And uh, champions, would you read that with me? It's Acts 2, 2, 44 through 47. Let's read it from the monitors uh, together. Let's read it together now. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they continued daily with one accord and having favor with all the people. My God, look at this. The Bible says that they were together, they had things in common, and they were in one accord. Together, common, and in one accord. And because of that, the Bible says that they had favor with all the people. Can you imagine 
living a life of favor with everybody. I mean, your, your, your boss doesn't know why he's giving you that uh, unprecedented raise that the company's never given a 200% raise. He doesn't know why because it's favor. Can you imagine how God's opened doors for you? And, and it's not, it's favor, it's favor, it's favor that comes on you. But there is something that comes before the favor. And we all want favor, but there is something that comes before the favor. The Bible tells us that they were together, they had things in common, and they were in one accord. And you know how beautiful it was. It says that and he added, he added to the church daily, as many as would be saved. And so what we recognize then is that um, this love that they showed, uh, they were showing one another, the family relationship that they were showing that was not a biological but a spiritual family relationship. The Bible says that the people on the outside marveled and they wanted to be a part of the fellowship. Now, you know why? It's because they knew that there was something supernatural with what they were doing. It wasn't common for people to, to uh, do what the early church did. And so I, I'll share with you that in various periods of time over the course of um, history that when people were together and had a sense of purpose and were not so focused on themselves that the gospel expanded. Now, uh, there, there's this, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but you've heard uh, perhaps the Colosseum in Italy. The Colosseum is a very historical place and people go there and they have a cross there, but it was a, it was a circle and uh, the people would sit in the stands and they would watch the gladiators. They would come out and they would fight one another and fight one another. And, uh, and they would cheer. And the one that survived was the one that was declared, obviously, the victor. But also it was determined that Christianity was, uh, in Rome was, was starting to come forth. And, um, and, the, and they wanted, the king wanted to, to stop that. And so as a result of it, what he did is that he brought Christians to uh, the, uh, that, that place. And people were sitting all around to make an example of them. And they would beat them. They would torture them. And that they would deny Jesus Christ. And do you know what's amazing? Is that these people would not deny him because they had already experienced him. And because they did not deny him, it backfired on the king and the Pharaoh because what, they, what, they, what the people that were in the stands, they looked at those that were being persecuted and they said, it must be really true what they believe if they'll take a position and not go back because of themselves. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that there is this love that's so great that as he's, as he's, he's even shared, this love is so great that we're not focused on ourselves, but we're focused on the purpose of the one who called us out of our, uh, that darkness into a beautiful and great light. And so let's look at this. In the book of Acts chapter 2, it says that they, uh, they, they were the ones who believed they were together. They had all things in common. They continued daily and that had favor with all people. And this is a description, not of a socialistic society, but it literally il illustrates how we are called to love one another. And, and their unity and the love that they shared with one another was so power, powerful that all the people thought so well of them that the people daily were saved. People daily were saved. Um, there's a man by the name of Horst, Horst Schultz. 
Horst Schultz is, um, he was the president of the Ritz-Carlton, and he wrote a book called Excellence uh, Wins. And um, at 16 years old, he, they transformed the service industry, just what we know today as Chick-fil-A. When, 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 you know, now Chick-fil-A, uh, and, and just a great model, and as a result of that, when you would come and you would ask them for something, they would say what? They would say what? My pleasure. Now, McDonald's is saying it, Whataburger is saying it, and you now have various fast food places are saying, my pleasure. Whereas before, they said, no problem, but now it's like, you're not a problem, but now they're saying, it's my pleasure to serve you. Well, at 16 years of age, 16 years of age, he wanted to work in the hotel industry and, 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 and represent it at a high level of excellence. And he was from Germany, and his parents were embarrassed because people were getting into engineering and, and a number of different things. And he wanted to go and, and be in the hotel industry. And there was no luxury hotels around. But God gave him a vision that he did not fully understand until later in his life. And you know what he said? He said that he wrote a paper at the age of 16 that said that we are ladies and everyone that serves is a lady and gentleman serving a lady and gentleman. And, and do you know that the doorman at the Ritz-Carlton have a mission statement for their life? Dishwashers have a mission statement for their lives. When you go to a Ritz-Carlton, they're empowered to spend, it was at one time $2,000 to, to satisfy what a customer desires. He said this to them. He says that, look, if you operate in excellence, the people that you serve, the ladies and gentlemen that you serve, will treat you like a lady and a gentleman. And, and it's amazing the service that you get there that's been modeled all over the world now. But it was a vision that he had, but he wasn't a believer. He wasn't a believer, although he modeled the excellence of, of the palace that the Bible talks about of the palace, uh, Solomon's temple. He modeled, he modeled that excellence, but he wasn't a believer. God gave him a revelation at 16 years old, but he didn't fully come into it until later. What happens? He got a word that he had cancer, and he had young children, one. I think one was five. You know what happened? He went to his family and says, you know, I may be gone in a year. But there were some Christian businessmen that came around him. And when they came around him, they said, can we pray for you? He says, you know what? When you can't help yourself, you, wanna, you want anybody to do something for you. And he said, yes. And, the, and, and, and they prayed for him that God will heal his body. He says, immediately after that prayer, I had never had anyone say that to me. I had never had anyone declare any type of faith around me before. But immediately after they finished praying, I asked God for 15 more years so I could see my children grow up. Do you know what's amazing about that? Is that he gave his life to Christ. And he said that I can't imagine anyone who's going through anything who do not have a relationship with Jesus. But it was because of these Christian businessmen that prayed for me that I gave my life to Christ. And I only asked him for 15 years, but that was 25 years ago. God is looking for somebody. God is looking for somebody. God is looking for someone that would represent him. That when others saw you, that they saw him. When others saw you, they saw something that was supernatural. Now, I, I've got to tell you that. How can you do that? How can you experience this kind of love? 
rather than just accept it, how can you experience this kind of love? Number one, what you've got to do is you've got to make time for it. You've got to say that this is going to be a priority in my life, so I've got to make time for it. That's number one. Number two, you know, because what you make time for is, uh, mm, is, is, is what becomes a priority to you, what you identify as a priority. And, 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 you know, it's been said that we've got our phones have become smarter, but as people, we've become more disconnected. So you've got to make time for it. You've got to make time for it. The second thing is you participate and contribute to it. So we talk about our champion groups. We talk about uh, coming together and sharing this love together. It's the same thing that, that the disciples did when Jesus told them, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. They went into a house together and began to pray, began to remember what he had said to them. And they came out with supernatural power. So notice this. You've got to participate and contribute to it. And then number three, you've got to take an interest in other people. It's not yourself only, not about your comfort, but it's an interest that you have in other people. And it's amazing when you take an interest in other people, how God calls the things you're interested in become reality. That's how you experience this kind of love, that we're going to go through things in our lives and we need someone that's going to make time for us. We're going to go through things in our lives we're gonna, we, we need someone that's going to participate with us, share what we are sharing, uh, go through uh, 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 what we are experiencing as well. And then the third thing is that they do that because they have an interest in me and it's not all about themselves or their own comfort level. You know what? You can ask anyone who's gone through something and they experience these three things, what it did for them as an individual. But can you imagine that if you did that, to others who think, well, why are you doing this? What do you get out of it? They just don't understand what really love is. You experience this kind by making time for it. You experience it by uh, participating in it and contributing into it, and then you take an interest in others. And so uh, as we uh, wrap up this morning, Jesus led 12 men with nothing more than the message of the gospel. And these men would turn <laughs> the world completely upside down. 12 men uh, gathered into a small group of believers who began to meet together. You know, the amazing thing about it is that they didn't have social media. They did not have computers. They did not have technology. They did not have the ability to publish materials or to build beautiful buildings. But yet, that church in Acts 2, they, that founded together in that room, they flourished even when they were attacked, when they were, uh, when they were attacked spiritually, when they were attacked physically. They shared the gospel and they performed miracles together. But God said that I have given you the power and the authority to tread on scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the enemy. And they began to demonstrate that power. See, gosh, it's so critical that we recognize that there may be some things we do not want to do, but it is a trick of the enemy because he knows if we do those things, what it produces, what it will produce in our lives. God says that, wow, how beautiful it is when my brethren gather together. I, I start commanding blessings. He says where the place of agreement is the place of power. The Bible tells us even in the church is that when they came together and they were in one accord, that people saw them and they wanted to be set part of the kingdom. They wanted to come from the outside to the inside. It also tells us that one could put a thousand to fight, but two could put 10,000 to fight. My God, look at the synergistic power when we all come together. But you know what the enemy does? The enemy loves to separate people. Why? It's because there cannot be an agreement if there is a separation. 